Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College. Its annual Summer Institute for Educators takes place June 25th through 27th. Registration is now open at landmark.edu lcsi. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. We must stop celebrating resiliency of children who overcome schools. And we must instead, like, repair these schools. Welcome to the MindShift Podcast, where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Ki Sung. Given our recent circumstances, like the pandemic and its ripple effects, Many of us have become more aware of better mental health tools, like the need for joy in our lives. But today we're going to talk about joy in a more educational context, joy in schools and curriculum, and how teachers can specifically incorporate joy into their work. We'll hear from Goldie Muhammad about how unearthing joy can help students and teachers fundamentally shift the way they view learning to center their humanity, and perhaps bring back some of the sparkle in the classroom that typically fades away after elementary school. Stay with us. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening Because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Welcome, Goldie Muhammad author of Unearthing Joy, A Guide to Culturally and Historically Responsive Teaching and Learning. She's also the author of Cultivating Genius, which was published in 2020. She's also professor of literacy, language, and culture at the University of Illinois at Chicago. 
Welcome, Goldie. Thank you. It's so good to be back with you. So happy to have you back with your second book. Uh, let's start with the title of your book. Why did you choose the title Unearthing Joy? So I I chose the title first of joy um, because we were in a time of early in the pandemic, right? Where we're experiencing a pandemic. Lots of things were going on in schools. Some teachers were beginning to leave the field and some folks were not honoring the work of teachers. And teachers were trying to then navigate online spaces, online learning. Um, There were uprisings and more of brothers and sisters being shot and killed. And I just felt that we needed joy more than ever. And joy, how would you define it? It's different from happiness. Yeah, if you think about happiness and joy, I think about happiness as more temporary. It can, you know, smiles, it's feeling good, it's feeling well. Um, I think about joy as more of a sustained happiness, right, over time. Joy is is more prominent um, to one's life. And if we experience, let's say, adversity or pain that inflicts us, joy allows us to sustain and keep our happiness, to keep who we are. So there's something that's a little bit more sustainable with joy, um, but they're both connected. Mm. So I had my own ways of defining joy, certainly in my own life, in my in my work, but what I did is what I always do. I return to history. I return to um, my ancestors and and how they define joy. How did they develop joy and build joy, especially during times of oppression and turmoil and violence inflicted to their lives, right? So when I studied the ancestors, I found that joy was much more than just having fun, happiness, or celebration and parties, which a lot of people think of as joy now. But for Black people, historically, joy was also abolition. Joy was um, working toward a better way of life. Joy was um, when the ancestors brought in music, art, creativity into their classrooms, into their learning experiences. Joy was healing. It was wellness. Joy was being able to recognize and understand beauty in oneself and the world around us. Joy was connected to justice. My model is really centered on these pursuits of identity, skills, intellect, criticality, and now joy. There's a relationship between criticality and joy. It's a partnership almost. Because if criticality is the part of learning that teaches our children about justice, about how to make the world a better place through problem solving, joy is what comes out of that. There is no joy without justice. And so one is able to fully embrace and experience joy when there's an absence of pain and hurt and harm in communities. So it was a beautiful relationship between um, these these concepts of equity, justice, and anti-racism with this end goal of joy. So to me, 
joy is something that we neglect in schools. We do not take it as a serious pursuit for learning. We don't have standards for joy. We don't have evaluations of teachers based on how, how much have you um, shown an ability to impart joy into the lives of your students. Joy is not something that we talk about. We talk about learning loss. We don't talk about joy loss. But for the ancestors, it was just as serious. And so it's what they were fighting for then and what I hope that we are fighting for today. Are people receptive to joy? Yeah, they definitely are. They're like, finally, thank you for adding joy. You know, I work with all kinds of teachers, teachers who email me. They've been teaching for 20, 30 years. And and the model has given them a the, the first sense of joy of teaching since like beginning at the, since their very beginning of teaching. I think we all have that joy at the beginning. Or they have like, feel like finally I understand the meaning of my career. <laughs> and they are thanking me for adding joy. And I do a lot of joyful things in the book that I can talk about later. But, you know, they, I said, which pursuit do st stays with you the most? They say joy. See, joy is something. Joy is what we are trying to wake up and receive and experience every day of our adult lives. Every day. We are trying to claim and reclaim our joy because there's so many things to navigate in this world. And on a day-to-day -day basis, teachers are the same way in the classroom. So they love and appreciate the focus of joy because so many teachers were prominent in doing joyful life things and practices, but it was never really evaluated or recognized by principals and leaders. If you were to give me a tour of a classroom that's cultivating joy, what would we see once we walk through the door? You know, I will work with teachers and sometimes they'll say, oh, joy is kind of for the secondary teachers will say joy. It's more for elementary, early childhood. But I said, do you need joy in your adulthood? Yes. So we need joy in, in different grades. So, you know, if I walked into a classroom or if I was teaching a classroom, I always, joy always begins with a critical love and a critical humility for getting ready to teach children. And it's the way we talk to children. It's the way we greet them. It's starting with their genius. It's smiling. It's telling them they are loved and appreciated. It's telling them that they are brilliant and smart and genius. And I cannot wait to teach you. It is like excitement and joy of the teacher. Every day I ask my students, do you feel like I show up with joy, ready and prepared to teach you? And then we would also, I mean, things that we can do at all grade levels is bring in multimodality and artistic like text. And when I say artistic text, I'm talking about artwork, music, um, poetry, as ways to understand difficult concepts that we're teaching. This was the first semester that I put visual art, performative art, music, videos, song lyrics, poetry on my course syllabus and my graduate PhD students, they come alive. It's just that one thing of layering, not just multimodal text, but layering text that center artistic sensibilities. So it, 
after we, you know, greet, show joy, show love, tell children you love them, um, it's really about the things that we teach. As we're teaching these topics, we are very intentional about writing a learning standard or what the ancestors called a learning pursuit around joy. Yeah, when I read Cultivating Genius uh, and your five pursuits, it did have me thinking a lot about how curriculum has been framed, at least when I went through school, that so much of it was about wars and colonization and the worst things that can happen to people. Uh, But in those textbooks, you didn't really see the celebrations or the nuances. And that can influence how you see your world, how you see yourself. And that is a conversation that I don't think enough people have. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. People are so adamant of like erasing justice uh, from the curriculum, but most of the curriculum is about pain and war. <laughs> so it's like you you say that's too much on a child, but the curriculum is centered on this. And then when we teach these topics, we don't start with joy. You know, we when I was a student, they taught about the Holocaust, but they didn't talk about the joy and the beauty of Jewish people. They taught about slavery, but they didn't talk about the beauty, the genius, and joy about African people. And so where we begin the story is a small practice of joy when we're teaching these ideas. Um, I had a school ask me in the state of Illinois yesterday, how do we teach novels that contain the N-word and racist history? I said, you're starting it, you're starting your question at the wrong place. You should be asking, how can you first engage in a lesson in a novel study on black joy? See, you're starting with the N-word. That's not who we are. <laughs> you know, you have you're starting in the wrong place. And when and some teachers are like, no, we need, you know, we need to start here. I said, so you're not starting your question from love. Everything has to begin with love of humanity, of each other, as we engage in this pedagogical work. You mentioned assessments. And how would you, how would you assess joy? What kind of assessment tool would you have for joy? And how does that differ from current assessment tools? I talk in my book about um, learning about the molecule of sugar in a science unit plan, right? And I had students sort of for identity calculate how many grams of sugar they're intaking during the week. This was a secondary unit, a middle school. And for Joy, the goal was they had to identify the benefits of natural sugars on the body. See, Joy goal is anything good, beneficial, wellness, healing. So they studied the harms of over-consuming processed sugars on the body for criticality but their joy goal was studying the benefits of natural sugar. And so their assessment was putting together a video, a meme, some kind of creative visual work to teach communities about the benefits of natural sugars versus processed sugars. And that video, that creative product became the assessment. So my point is assessments can be worksheets, can be quizzes, tests, But assessments can also be performative. You can write a poem to assess your learning. 
You can write a speech. It could be something written. It can be something you create. It could be an invention as an assessment. It can be um, a project. It could be an exit ticket. It can be a note card where you write down your ideas. Assessment, th there is no limit to the ways in which we can assess. And everything we assess does not have to be attached to points or a grade. And, and that's what we have to understand. Learning is so beautiful to say that assessment only has to be a multiple choice tests. <laughs> you are placing limitations on one's mind and how they show their, their learning, evidence of their learning. And so what I encourage educators to do is be very creative, multimodal, differentiated, not just when you're teaching different methods, but when you're assessing teaching, what this model does is, is give children multiple ways to be successful. If I just would, I can easily assess joy through a quiz or a worksheet. Sure. You can ask students on the quiz, what are the benefits of natural sugars? Make a list of five benefits to the body. That's a quiz question. Or you can say, here's a multiple choice question. Um, which one is a, a benefit of natural sugar? And there's like one correct answer. You can do that, but why not give other opportunities to showcase students genius? A lot of our children can make TikTok videos and digital resources. So I would pull upon that genius and their talents and say, use that gift to show your knowledge of the benefits of natural sugars. So one issue I want to ask you about, which I think speaks to what made cultivating genius so important, is shifting mindsets adults have about students. And you mentioned in your book something called Despite Students. Um, and we see Despite Students in the media, and they make for great stories. Um, and can you tell us about Despite Students and why it's an impediment to teaching and learning? Yeah. So I talk about like despite of students, students who achieve despite of a system that was never designed for them, despite curriculum that is lacking joy, despite teaching and learning practices that has nothing to do with their lives. You know, when we study the, the makeup of schools and how schools and curriculum and standards and assessments and everything that makes up education, if we study how these things were designed, we don't see black and brown knowledge and epistemologies. We don't see uh, black histories the way from our perspectives, we see very Eurocentric design and nature. See, if, you, if, if we would have built an education system that included African-Americans in the system, we would have identity and culturally responsiveness as a, as a part of evaluation standards and curriculum. We just don't do it. And so first we have to understand how this was designed. Then we have students who achieve despite of a system that was never designed for them. I found out like a school I had went to did a unit plan on picking cotton and they didn't talk about pain involved with cotton of the ancestors of enslavement, almost taught it as it was a good thing. Now, once upon a time, I attended this school 
and somehow I achieved despite of never seeing a black teacher, <laughs> a brown teacher. I achieved despite of never having lesson plans and unit plans geared around my identities. I was a despite of child. And sometimes we celebrate. They celebrated my achievements and how well I did in school. I said, we must stop celebrating and uh, resiliency of children who overcome schools. And we must instead like repair these schools, get them right, get them better. So we're not celebrating students' resiliency to overcome just horrible practices if we are telling the truth. And so I, I don't want despite of students, I don't, they have to live a grow up and live a life where they'll have real challenges and pains to navigate in adversity. School should not feel like adversity. School should not feel like something to overcome in pain. School should be a place to cultivate your identity, your intellectualism, your skills, your knowledge about the world, your criticality and your joy. It should be a space, right, where children ultimately feel loved, feel safe in, feel self-empowered in. So for all these reasons is why we need to move away from despite children, despite of children, and start to fix those core problems of our educational system. Goldie, I did notice your book incorporates various aspects of joy and perhaps happiness throughout the pages. It is not just text for anybody who's thinking about getting the book. So tell me a little bit more about the design that went into the book. Yeah, so from the colors to the images to the paper quality, everything was very intentional to really express this feeling of beauty, of aesthetics, and of joy. And um, each chapter is layered with and begins with poetry, artwork, and a playlist of music. So there's a QR code in each chapter that is intended to be extended meaning from the content of that chapter. And so my hope is that the songs will be played lightly in the background um, as a intertextual experience of a multi-layered, multi-meaning experience um, as you're gaining music from the song lyrics and the musicality, you're reading across the artwork, you're reading across the poetry um, as a feeling of joy. Each chapter also has coloring book pages, <laughs> you know, like adult coloring book where we can, you know, color as a way of releasing. And the book is also written um, I love the artist who who does the work throughout the book, but the um, book is also written to treat the the educator as an artist. So you're not you are a teacher, but you are also an artist. You create, you build, you design. Your curriculum is like a form of art, a form of creation to share it to the world. So just like we would take in the beauty of a sculpture, of a painting. We'll take in the beauty of your lesson plans and unit plans. And so I talk to teachers in a very artistic form in the book. And I ask, you know, one of my favorite artists, Pharrell Williams, who knew my work and really appreciated the work that I was doing with children in schools. 
And so I asked Pharrell Williams, who's a producer, musical artist, he, he, his artistry extends boundaries. And he wrote the foreword. Um, and so the ways in which he introduces joy in the book is so beautiful and thoughtful. Um, I thought that was a beautiful way to kick things off as this book is expressive of all sorts of art. Well, your words are moving to me as well, and and definitely to the hundreds of thousands of people who've been reading your books. So I'm I'm so thankful, Goldie Muhammad, that you can join us, and we hope to have you back for your next book. <laughs> I hope to be back too. Thank you again for inviting me. Goldie Muhammad is the author of Unearthing Joy, a guide to culturally and historically responsive teaching and learning. She's also the author of Cultivating Genius. We'll have more interviews with experts in education and beyond. Hit follow on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. The MindShift team includes me, Ki Sung, Nima Gobier, Karen Newhouse, and Marlena Jackson Rotondo. Our editor is Chris Hambrick, Seth Samuel is our sound designer, Jen Chien is our head of podcasts, and Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. MindShift is supported in part by the generosity of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation and members of KQED. Thank you for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.